Hello there, this is Benny. And this is Kyle. And you're listening to The Doctor's Watcher. The podcast where I tell you about Doctor Who that I watch. Well, I, I, I at least got it right this time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yes. Uh, hello, hello, listeners. Um, this is the, the second episode that we are recording today out of two. Um and one thing I wanted to mention um, before we get into recording is that um, in addition to recording Doctor's Watcher with Kyle this weekend, um, today is Sunday and yesterday on Saturday we played some of the Star Trek Adventures RPG. Um, we did indeed. So, so Kyle is the uh, the game master of our party, um, and uh, he's been running this game. This is our second session, and I, I very much enjoyed it. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I also enjoyed it. I, I felt like it, it went a bit better than our first session, probably at least partially because we're all just getting a bit more familiar with how things go and how it works. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I'm also... I'm I'm starting to get a little bit more of a feel for like how to run a game in a Star Trek world. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting, it's a different feeling than your typical RPG, which is very much about like you know starting off on the bottom. Uh, you're these usually scrappy young adventurers trying to make it in the world or whatever. Whereas in the Star Star Trek RPG. Um, you don't have to like gather gold or equipment. You you start off already as the officers on board this starship, and um, so rather than trying to adventure for your own um, gain and advancement, you're you're trying you're you're serving a, a higher calling. You know you're doing these missions for Starfleet on behalf of the Federation and and all that good stuff. So it's it's a very different vibe, and I kind of like it. Um, even from like a party dynamic perspective where everyone's on board um, and we're already a team going into it, you don't have to worry about the usual thing where the, the rogue will try to pickpocket the party as soon as they fall right. asleep or the, the clerics being all preachy or, or the, the barbarian, you know, charges in and gets everyone in trouble because the, the barbarian couldn't be bothered to stick to the plan or something. But no, everyone's kind of on the same page. We all trust each other and respect each other. And then like, um, where do you go from there? You know, and how you can do these, uh, missions that, that come with that. And then, uh, it's, it's, it's cool. It's a good vibe. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And, you know, among the players, we have, the three folks who all played in the D and D game that we had a while ago. But then we also have a couple of additional folks who were not involved in that game. So, you know, the, the four of us are, are three D and D players and myself, like, you know, we're all pretty used to each other's play styles and whatnot. And, Mm -hmm. but it's been, it's been interesting and fun to, you know, have a little bit of some new group dynamic in in the party. Uh, I thought in yesterday's session in particular, there was a lot of fun character interactions between like 
uh, what Dr. Blarg and Tolvaus. There was a lot of fun stuff between Tolvaus and Stembolt. Yeah. Uh, some fun stuff with Hoosh. Yeah, it was, it was great. I, I think there was, there was not a moment in the game that I thought was not fun. Oh, cool. Oh, cool. That's, that's great. Um, <laughs> I mean, Kyle, those of you, you know, you, you've all been listening, I hope, to the, the Doctor's Watcher for a while now. You know how much work Kyle puts into preparing for these episodes. Um, and that gives you, I think, some idea of the amount of work that he puts into preparing for our RPG games as well, um, which is always fantastic. You know, uh, we, we it's... It's really important, I think, you know, going into these RPGs when you feel like you're in good hands and that your DM has, or GM, I guess, uh, has put the thought and, and effort into preparing for things and is ready to go. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 a good game too, I, and I just love Star Trek. Come on, I think I think everyone here knows uh, I love Star Wars, uh, <laughs> but Star Trek also. Just for, from the time I was a kid. Um, I've, always loved star trek so as a gm i will say to any other dms and gms out there who might be listening that sometimes you can fool your players into thinking that you've prepared more than you actually have (laughs) (laughs) um well (laughs) not that that's what happened yesterday i'm just you know of course Uh, so, so speaking of preparations, uh, <laughs> um, I, I think you're prepared to talk about our next uh, Doctor Who episode. Are our listeners prepared to hear about it? I hope so, because you all clicked play on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> So we have a powerful enemy to deal with. Indeed, the powerful enemy in this, our 10th episode nice. of season two, obviously. This, of course, is a new serial. We finished up with our Dalek serial last time, and this serial was written by David Whitaker. Oh, our old, uh, um, what was it, the, the script room? S- script editor. Script editor. Yeah. 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 He, he was the script editor from the start of the show up through the previous serial. But, you know, this is the first serial where he's moved on from being script editor. That job has now been taken over by Dennis Spooner, who, of course, wrote The Reign of Terror. And oh, interesting. Yeah. And, you know, David Whitaker, of course, also himself wrote the edge of disaster serial. So oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, this um, is to be fair. It wasn't very memorable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is not our, our first work from David. Obviously his, you know, his hands are on everything that we've seen up to this point as script editor, mm-hmm. but you know, this is not even his first serial written by him and it's definitely not going to be the last either. So, okay. Well, let's hope it's a good one then. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, the, the edge of disaster was 
okay for what it was. And to be fair, they didn't have much to work with. It was a bottle episode. I think it was designed to to save money on yeah. sets and, and actors and stuff. And, uh, you know, maybe not the most compelling uh, plot, but... But it was fine, and it, and we at least got to uh, enjoy speculating about space vampires. So, <laughs> That's true. Um, could could always be space vampires. We'll see if there are potential space vampires in this one. <laughs> yeah, come on, David Whitaker, you got <laughs> you got to deliver one of these serials. <laughs> so we didn't actually have a Cliff Dingler last time. Yeah, I got nothing to nothing to start with. Yeah, this hardest just left, and you know Susan is going off with David, and that's it. We don't see any of that at the start of this one. We just cut straight into this new story, where the TARDIS materializes in what looks like some sort of indoor area. It's pretty dark, but. Mm. Almost immediately after it materializes, the camera cuts away. And we cut to a really cool model, actually, of a broken spaceship, like, among some hills. Huh. The the ship itself is basically like a, a big cylinder, you know, classic rocket ship type shape. It's, like, broken in half, pretty much. It's just in, like, two pieces. And there's a British flag on it. Mm. And the camera pans up and shows us a satellite dish on the spaceship that is spinning around. <laughs> trying, to, trying to pick up a good TV station to watch. <laughs> uh-huh. We've been hearing a beeping noise this whole time as we're seeing the ship. And this beeping noise continues uninterrupted as the camera cuts to what we're presuming is the ship's interior and it shows us a screen with a grid on it and one of the grid squares is lit up and it's pretty clear that this like this screen or whatever is where the beeping is coming from maybe detected our TARDIS we see a person brush into the view and you know they are excitedly checking out the grid screen. This person is a young woman. I would guess like early 20s, but as far as I can tell from the little bit of research I did, I think canonically she's a teenager. Would you say that she's already looking like a likely replacement for Susan? (laughs) (laughs) You know, she, she might be. She has that vibe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so canonically, I believe she's a teenager. She's definitely like a late teen, though. Yeah, well, I I think that the teenagers also tended to look older, you know. Yeah, that's uh, that's true. Just the the fashions and the the hairstyles and makeup and all that. Yeah, so yeah, while I'm reading her as early 20s, probably someone in the 60s would actually read her as like 17 or 18. So, yeah, she rushes into the room, she checks the grid screen out, and then she rushes into the next room, calling, Bennett! Bennett! Okay. In the next room, there is an older dude with, like, a beard and mustache. They're both nicely trimmed. And uh, very, very important detail. <laughs> 
Uh, well, I want to, I want to, you know, make sure you all understand that he's not scraggly like the the sense sphere people were. Yes. <laughs> so you know, his facial hair is very nicely trimmed, and he's laying in bed. This young woman rushes in from the other room, and she tells him that the rescue ship has landed. But hmm. he doesn't well, think that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't think that that's what it is. He tells yeah. her that it's impossible. The rescue ship's not due for another three days. It can't even find Dido unless we guide it down. But you know it's that. showing on the screen. Then what could it be? She tells him that there's something on the screen. It's like, you know, somewhere in the mountains. Definitely something is here. But he basically just tells her to, like, go call the rescue ship on the radio and she'll see that, you know, they're not here yet. So she starts heading out of the room. He gets her attention again. And Vicky, watch out for Coquillion. Uh, Coquillion, our powerful enemy. Uh-huh. Maybe. <laughs> she says that she hasn't seen him. She hasn't seen Coquillion around today. But, you know, Bennett warns her that he must be around somewhere. And he reminds her that Coquillion doesn't know about the rescue ship and would definitely kill them both if he found out about it. Hmm. That sounds like an enemy, but is he powerful? <laughs> I guess we'll find out. So she goes over to the radio. She calls up the rescue ship. Planet Dido to rescue ship. Planet Dido to rescue ship. Come in, please. Over. And That's a very classic sound to it. I, I kind of dig it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I'm, I'm already on board with this. Dido is a great planet name. The rescue ship responds. And she asks them. Is it true? Have you... Have you landed? Over. You know, all trying to, like, be calm about it and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kyle, Kyle acted that out for me, and uh, he, he conveyed the emotion and yet the restraint. It turns out that they have not landed. Bennett was right. They will be arriving in a nice amount of time. And then we're still 69 flying hours away. <laughs> nice. <laughs> They tell her that they'll call back when they need directions, and they hang up. <laughs> and Vicky's just like... 69 hours away? Who's landed on the mountain? Who indeed? Perhaps Doctor Who? <laughs> and with that, we cut to the TARDIS control room. Of course. Of course. The doctor is napping in a chair. <laughs> and Barbara is telling Ian that she thinks that the TARDIS has landed because, you know, normally the ship kind of like shakes and trembles, but that's stopped now. <laughs> Ian agrees. The doctor's never slept through a landing before. The doctor's gone through a lot, to be fair. Yeah. They wake him up. Or, or, or maybe, maybe it turns out that Susan was always the one who woke him up before the end. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> so yeah, they go and wake him up and they tell him that the ship's trembling has stopped. And 
he heads over to the control panel and like powers it down. The, you know, kind of uppy downy thing in the center, like stops going up and down and some lights go off and Barbara's like, then we have landed. And the doctor says, yes, uh, excuse me, materialized, I think is the better word. <laughs> um, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, he's gone through a lot, but he's, he's still his good old pedantic self. Yes. The air and the temperature and everything else seems fine, according to their sensors. So they turn the scanner on, but there's not much to see on the screen. It's basically just dark and rocky. The doctor thinks that they could be in a cave or maybe underground. He says, I do think we ought to step outside and have a look. I will too. Susan, uh, get... Oh. Yeah, Barbara and Ian kind of share a look with each other, and Barbara suggests... Doctor, why don't you show me how to open the doors? And the doctor quickly recovers. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, 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 my dear, of course, yes, yes, uh, silly, but yes, uh, number four switch. Yeah. You're my granddaughter now. <laughs> <laughs> so they head outside, and it turns out they are in a cave... Cool. Barbara comments on how strange it smells. It smells nothing like Earth. Now, is this like a big old cavern, or are they, you know, just basically in a, a little cave the size of the the TARDIS, and then a little room outside to walk around? Uh, it's basically just kind of a, a small room, not much bigger than the TARDIS. Okay. So yeah, Barbara comments on how weird it all smells. I think we may have talked about this on the pod once or twice before about like shows talking about smells, which is interesting because, you know, it's, it's very great for the budget. You know, they can say this smells nothing like earth and we viewers at home are just like, cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it engages more senses than what the television itself can uh, can convey. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, as Barbara is, is walking around, does she say, this ground sure feels strange. doesn't feel like rock. <laughs> so the doctor it tells Ian and Barbara to you know start exploring the area, but don't go too far. And Gotta watch out for Minox. Right. He heads back into the TARDIS to take a nap. Apparently, he's still sleepy. Barbara and Ian are are a little bit shocked. A nap? Well, it's a new one, isn't it? He's usually the first one to be up and dashing off for a look. Well, yeah, I mean, he 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 is still processing a lot. I think. Yeah, you know, they they talk a little bit about that how. He's gone through a lot, and they start talking about how he's certainly not getting any younger. But this gets interrupted when the TARDIS door opens and the doctor pops his head back out. Remember, I can hear what you're saying. Pick up that stone for me, would you? (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, they give him a rock, and he goes back inside and 
they start wandering away from the TARDIS where they can like speak in peace. And Barbara reminds Ian that the doctor can't be expected to just immediately forget about Susan, especially with like all of these reminders of her on the ship. You know, there are piles of shoes everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) They continue exploring the cave and the camera shows us that they're being watched by this giant insectoid alien thing. Nice. You know, like the classic sci-fi TV trope of like just showing us the monster like in brief glimpses in the dark for half a second. Mm-hmm. That's not something that Doctor Who does. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They give us just a complete straight on close up of this alien's head, fully lit. It's got these like four big pincers in the mouth area. It's got these like two bulbous eye looking things. It's got these two antennae like sticking out above the eyes. It's got like a ring of giant spikes around the neck area. Oh, Awesome. I, I'm really into it. So when do I get to do a Google image search, Kyle? You know, I, I, now I didn't actually later. do a search myself, but you can probably search for Coquillion, I imagine. All right. Well, you may have to spell that for me. Uh, K-O-Q-U-I-L-L-I-O-N. Nice. Oh, man, that that is that's the good stuff right there. Yeah. It's like weird looking, kind of goofy, um, but yeah, very classic sci-fi monster design here. Um, and and clearly it's going to be the, the one to replace Susan uh, in, our, <laughs> in our party, so uh-huh. um, I, better, I better get used to it. I will say for purposes of not revealing spoilers that I, I am not suggesting that this creature that's watching Barbara and Ian is Coquillian, just that it is of the same species of Co- as Coquillian. <laughs> so Coquillian is uh, a, a, a handy search term. Yes. <laughs> so the camera zooms out. It shows us that this creature is humanoid, at least in the sense of standing on two leg-like appendages and having a torso and then having two arm-like appendages. Yes, it's, it's humanoid in the sense of being a person in a suit. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it has these like large hands with these giant claws on the end, which is pretty cool. Yes. Apparently, the design of this creature was based on a close-up image of a fly. Oh, huh. And yeah, that's that's not a joke. That's something that I actually read on the internet. Cool. Well, um, I don't really see it, but there's a lot of weird-looking flies. So, <laughs> um, And based on inspired by, doesn't mean it has to look exactly like a fly. Yeah, that's and, true. And it looks cool, so who cares? Yes. So this creature that might or might not be Coquillian watches Ian and Barbara leave the area, and then it starts examining the TARDIS. Mm -hmm. Poor doctor. Uh, He he may have a rude awakening. (laughs) Ian and Barbara 
have seen some daylight coming from, you know, a section of the cave. So they head over there and they climb out of the cave onto this ledge overlooking the valley where they're able to see the model of the crashed ship from the start of the episode. Cool. You see on the side, a flag? It's from home! Yes. So yeah, as, as they try to figure out what happened to it and like where all the people are, this creature that was watching them in the cave earlier comes up behind them. You are strangers here. Answer my question. Do you come from Earth? Yes. A, I love that it talks. (laughs) Um, B, I love that it's being kind of aggro. Um, And I do find it interesting that it's going to go check on Ian and Barbara first before um, menacing the TARDIS or anything like that. also interesting that they commented on the uh, the uh, flag on the spaceship, because as as a Star Trek fan, as we mentioned earlier, I would hope that by the time we get this far into space, we've already done away with countries and flags and things like that. But right. Or, I guess that yeah. wasn't really on people's minds at the time. If there's a flag, it would be like a flag of Earth or something, right? Instead right. of a particular country. Yes. So they tell this creature that they do come from Earth, and it asks them about their ship. You know, like, what did you come in on, or whatever. And Ian's like, dude, you were just in the cave. You definitely saw it. And That's definitely a spaceship that, uh, <laughs> were, were you in the, uh, the market, you could uh, <laughs> hop aboard or even steal it. Mm-hmm. The creature's like, You landed here in that box? And Barbara says, Well, I know it sounds fantastic, but we have no reason to lie to you. Plus, I mean, you've got a spaceship, so, like, you know, have an open mind, dude. (laughs) It asks them if there are any other crew members, and Ian starts to say that there is. Barbara kind of like grabs his wrist to stop him. Apparently we have no reason to lie to you. Doesn't extend to, do you have more crew members? Well, um, just because we're not lying to you doesn't mean we have to give you all the, uh, the information. (laughs) Yeah. But it's too late. He's already, he's already like started to say it and let, you know, let the critical information slip. Yeah. It would be awkward if he stopped. So yeah, the creature wants to meet this other crew member. So it sends Ian off to go get him. Barbara is going to follow and go with Ian, but the creature steps in front of her and it's holding this like pretty menacing tool that looks like basically a fancy spanner with like some jewels and shit on it. Hmm. Would you say it's akin to a fucked up potato masher? It's definitely in the in the same genre as fucked up potato masher. Definitely made in the same prop factory. <laughs> <laughs> it asks her why she's frightened. I'm your friend. You can trust me. Can I? <laughs> and I like she, this guy. Yeah, she's just like, can I? As she backs up until she's like 
backed up against the ledge, at which point the creature pushes her, and we hear her scream get quieter as she falls. Oh, shit, that's not how we treat our friends around here. Um, strange creature whose name we may or may not know. <laughs> Hi, I hope you're enjoying the episode. If you like our podcast, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. If you'd like to ask us a question, share your thoughts, or make fun of us, you can email us at thedoctorswatcher at gmail.com or tweet us at drwatcher. Thanks for listening, and now back to the episode. Meanwhile, inside the TARDIS... The, oh shit, I thought you had wings. <laughs> <laughs> the doctor is actually not napping, but he is doing science on the rock that Ian and Barbara got for him. He's examining it and he's taking notes and he's monologuing to himself. Oh. My writing gets worse and worse. Dear, 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 dear. Well, undoubtedly, we've landed on the planet Dido. Hmm, how remarkable. Oh, interesting. Yeah, we learn in his monologue that he has apparently been to this planet before, and he found the people to be quite friendly. He kind of speculates to himself about whether he could get away with lying to Ian and saying that they came here deliberately. <laughs> but then he remembers that he slept through the landing, so that definitely wouldn't work. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Back out on the ledge, the creature raises its fancy spanner up and, you know, kind of holds it in its hand, pointing towards the cave entrance, and the fancy spanner makes a humming noise. And then there's an explosion, and a bunch of rocks fall at the cave entrance. Inside the cave, Ian is, like, right near this, and kind of falls to the ground with the explosion and, and the rock fall. Mm -hmm. The doctor comes out of the TARDIS to see, you know, what's going on. He finds Ian and, like, helps him up to his feet. Meanwhile, the camera realizes that... We haven't followed up on Barbara in a scene or two, and if she's potentially a cliff dangler, we don't want to leave her dangling for too long. Yes, uh, dangling and or already having reached the bottom. Yeah, it turns out that she is not a cliff dangler. She is a cliff faller. Mm -hmm. We see her unconscious at the bottom. Sorry, Matilda's outside. Of course, we, we, we always have room for our, uh, our co-host. <laughs> Indeed, Matilda has decided to join in on this episode. So yeah, Barbara is not a cliff dangler, it turns out. She is a cliff faller. Dang. We see her unconscious at the bottom of the cliff with like a broken branch laying on her. Oh man, when you said broken, I thought you were going to say a broken limb. 
No, uh, that is luckily not what we see. We just see a broken branch. Okay. We also see a shadow of a person fall on her. But before we get to see who cast the shadow, the camera cuts back to the doctor and Ian. Ian explains that he thought Barbara was with him, but then he heard her scream, so he went back for her, and then there is this explosion. And Ian hasn't actually mentioned the the weird insect creature that they ran into? Uh, no, not quite yet. Okay. The, well, he, he may be slightly burying the lead here. <laughs> <laughs> the doctor explains that he has definitely been here before. This is the planet Dido, and the people are super friendly. And like this is when Ian starts talking about the creature that he encountered. Yeah, which uh, may not have been so friendly. Uh-huh. Yeah, he starts like describing what it looks like. And the doctor says, With hands and feet like claws? Yes. That's it. They're very friendly people. Oh, okay. Uh, hmm. <laughs> but yeah, Ian, Ian really doesn't think that they're friendly based on the small sample that he's had. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm inclined to go with Ian on this one. <laughs> unless, unless it's going to turn out that the creature really did think that Barbara had wings, um, <laughs> which I do not seriously uh, think is going to be the direction this goes. Yeah. Ian describes the fancy spanner to the doctor, and the doctor says that it's a ray. It's like a, a tool. It's a ray that is used in construction work that the people of Dido had just invented the last time he was here. And was that in the future or the past? <laughs> you know, Ian should have asked. That would have been an, a valid question. <laughs> Ian heads off to try to find another way out of the cave, because, of course, the way they went originally is blocked now. And the doctor speculates to himself what could have happened to cause the people of Dido to become dangerous rather than friendly. Uh, I also kind of wonder maybe how friendly they were at the time. Yeah. This thing sure claimed to be a friend. <laughs> a strange way of showing it. And, you know, the doctor might not necessarily have the best idea of how friendships are supposed to work. <laughs> yes. In the sort of main like hangout area of the broken spaceship, Vicky is piling up blankets and pillows and stuff to make a bed, but she hears someone approaching and she quickly stops and she grabs some stones instead and like pretends to be examining them and stuff. And mm. the the exterior door opens and the creature enters. You have been outside. Stand up. What were you doing? She says that she was walking, and it tells her not to go farther than 50 yards from the ship in the future. Hmm. Interesting it, that she thinks that it doesn't want to see her building a bed. Yeah. So it, it asks her 
what she was dragging in the big sack that it saw her dragging. And she says that it was just stones that she likes to collect. The creature says that it's going to go talk to Bennett. But before it leaves, Vicky mentions that she heard an explosion in the mountains. So the creature tells her that a space machine has arrived. They're warlike people. They wanted to pillage the ship. I could not save them from my people, as I do, Bennett and yourself. They're walled up in a cave. If they're not dead already, they will die of hunger and thirst. Hmm. Interesting, uh, interesting developments here. Mm-hmm. She accuses this creature of probably not having given them a chance. Mm-hmm. I think she, she's she got its number. Uh-huh. But she very quickly apologizes for this when it raises the fancy spanner. Oh, dang. Uh, so that's how it's going to be, huh? So it heads down the corridor to talk to Bennett. It closes the door behind it. You know, there's like the room that she's in with a door to the corridor. And then at the other end of the corridor, there's a door to Bennett's room. Would you call that the corridor door? I would indeed. (laughs) (laughs) So it, it heads through the corridor door and it closes the corridor door Mm -hmm. and walks down the corridor to the other corridor door. And with you so far. (laughs) And Vicky goes up to her closed corridor door and she, you know, presses her ear up against it to listen through the corridor door as this creature goes to the other corridor door and starts to open the corridor door. But the corridor door stops and Bennett's voice says, You can't come in. The creature says, It is Cock William. Open the door. And Interesting. I've been trying to figure out kind of who's in charge here. Yeah, it's there's definitely some interesting power dynamics going on. Yeah. So yeah, it the corridor door opens, and this creature that is apparently Coquillian. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> it enters Bennett's room and shuts the corridor door behind it. Cool. Vicky goes back to the pile of blankets that she was working on and reveals that Barbara is hiding inside of it. All right, well, I guess that explains why she was being so uh, mysterious about it. Yeah. She's worried, though. Vicky's worried now that probably Coquillian knows that she smuggled Barbara back to the spaceship. Hmm. Barbara kind of calms her down a little bit and asks her her name. Is that short for Victoria? No, just Vicky. V-I-C-K-I. Hmm. I guess in the future, yeah, it's just just Vicky. Uh-huh. So you, so you know that she's not from our time. <laughs> Barbara explores the dialogue tree a little bit until she's able to find and unlock the main backstory dialogue node. Of course, like you do. Uh Uh-huh. Apparently, when the ship landed, or crashed, I guess, but I think landed was the term they used, Mm 
<laughs> uh, everyone on the ship got invited to a big banquet. Vicky was sick, so she couldn't go. She, you know, stayed on the ship that night. But while everyone else was at the banquet, she remembers hearing a big explosion. She, yeah. She so was, was, it, was it these Coquillian, Coquillian's people that invited everyone to a banquet? That seems to be what's being implied. Okay, okay. Um, she was apparently like pretty sick for several days, though, and like pretty much out of it for you know not only the night that they landed, but like the next several days. Mm-hmm. And when she eventually recovered from her illness, and you know, kind of came around and came back to her senses or whatever she learned that Bennett had dragged himself back to the ship from the site of the explosion. Apparently he's no longer able to walk and that the rest of the crew of the ship was all killed. Dang. And, you know, earlier in the episode, Coquillian had reminded Vicky that he's the only one who can protect her and Bennett from his people mm-hmm. who would kill them just like the rest of their crew. Mm-hmm. Well, that was, that was his claim or its right. claim. Yeah. I'm going with it. I think. Okay. I, I, I do not want to presume the gender of an alien species. You're right. I shouldn't either. <laughs> so Barbara wonders why Coquillian protects Vicky and Bennett, but Vicky doesn't really know. She asks Barbara about her ship, you know, about the ship that Barbara came on, mm-hmm. and then realizes that Coquillian had basically told them earlier that they've killed the rest of Barbara's crew too. You know, not just Vicky and Bennett's crew, but Barbara's crew has all been killed theoretically. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. We cut to Ian and the Doctor, the rest of Barbara's crew, who are working their way through the cave system, trying to find a way out. And the Doctor just can't understand why the people of this planet have turned to violence. He says that the last time he was here, there were only like maybe a hundred people on the planet at all. And, you know, that really gave them a lot of incentive to, like, cling to life and to have peaceful ways and to, like, work with and help each other. So he doesn't know what could have changed. Well, the costume department didn't feel like putting together a hundred people (laughs) costumes. Uh Uh-huh. We just had budget for the one, so... Yes. Vicky is helping Barbara tend to some of her cuts and bruises you know, from having fallen off a cliff. Mm -hmm. Apparently Barbara's arm is a little bit strained because she caught a tree to break her fall. Wow. Well, uh, all things considered probably for the best that she had that, uh, had the wherewithal to do so. Yeah. Um, if, uh, if the option is to catch a tree or to plummet to your death, um, that's the right call and a person of action. I guess that's the broken branch that was on her though. Yeah, that, that would follow. 
Vicky shows her the flare gun that she has handy for when the rescue ship arrives, but she's pretty worried that Coquillion will prevent the rescue somehow. Mm. Barbara looks at her with what I thought was a look of compassion, but Vicky seems to interpret it as pity. You're sorry for me, aren't you? I'm perfectly all right, you know. I don't care if nobody ever comes. I'm fine. I'm perfectly all right. Wow. Okay. Well, um, (laughs) seems like a very uh, calm and perfectly all right response. (laughs) (laughs) They hear a noise. So Barbara, like, quickly gets hidden under the blankets again. And then Bennett slowly limps into the room. He's, like, supporting himself along the wall and control panels and stuff. Mm. Apparently it's not that he can't walk, it's just that he can he can barely walk. Mm-hmm. Or whatever. He can't walk without support, I suppose. He tells Vicky that Coquillian's gone and, like, didn't manage to get any information out of Bennett. He says that Coquillian told him about the space people on the mountain and how he killed them. But Vicky gets a mischievous smile on her face as she says, No, he hasn't, Bennett. Not all of them anyway. And pulls the blankets off of Barbara. Cool. Well, I hope we can trust Bennett. Yeah. Ian and the doctor have reached the side-scrolling platformer portion of the cave. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. And, yeah, they are, like, edging themselves along a ledge over a chasm. Down at the bottom of the chasm, when the camera zooms out a bit, we can see another creature that is very similar to the one that they saw earlier, which we now know was Coquillian. Except this one, down at the bottom of the chasm is on the ground like a giant lizard. It's not up on two legs like a humanoid. Huh. That's interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. I wonder what it could mean. (laughs) As they continue down the side-scrolling platformer, there is a portion of this cave level where there are these, like, rings on the wall that you can hold on to while you, you know, swing yourself over a portion of the path. Oh, yikes. So Ian, you know, person of action is leading the way. He goes first. But as he gets to the third ring, it turns out that it's trapped. He, you know, puts his weight on it and it pulls out of the wall. Oh, well, he, uh, Probably for the best that Ian went first then. Yeah. I don't think that the doctor would have any chance at this point. But we should see what happens to Ian. Yeah, so Ian, you know, rolls a dexterity save. But he manages to roll really well. And he kind of like stumbles onto basically the next section of the platformer. Nice. But, but the ring, you know, pulling out of the wall did did trigger the trap. And on this section of the platform that Ian is standing on, these spikes come out of the wall, like ahead of him and behind him and basically just like trap him in that section. Oh, cool. 
I mean, uh, dangerous and scary, but still <laughs> pretty cool. Uh-huh. And then some more spikes start coming out of the wall. They are like in between, you know, on the space in the wall in between the two sets of spikes that are already out. So they're coming like straight toward Ian. Uh-oh. I think I uh, sense some words appearing on the screen here in a second. <laughs> Doctor, they're pushing me towards the edge. And the words next episode, desperate measures appear on screen. There we go. <laughs> go let Matilda out of the room. Of course. Do you need to go? Yeah. And there you go, Kitty. Cool. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, we've got some promising stuff going on here. Crashed spaceship. Um, mysterious bug people who used to be friendly. Um, and now at least one of them seems to be um well unfriendly rather uh, not friendly no indeed indeed not friendly um it's it's also interesting i was thinking about how um in the previous season we would have a sci-fi episode and then a historical one and a sci-fi one and a historical one and here we've had basically just three sci-fi episodes in a row yeah that's true we really have um i guess the first two both took place on earth the first one even presumably in the present day but but yeah they were all decidedly sci-fi episodes yeah it's it's been a little bit since we've had a historical at this point i suppose like not yeah. since the end of season one yeah yeah and then that was a pretty good one that was a yeah that was good good one um cool well uh we've got a uh Truly excellent um, classic sci-fi monster costume um, going on. I like I like how they're reusing it for well, presumably reusing it for this four-legged variant that we saw earlier. I wonder what's going on there. Um, mm-hmm. If it's the same species, maybe some devolved version, or or maybe a separate species that just happens to look like the same costume. <laughs> right. Yeah, in terms of, like, the platformer level design, it's definitely just, like, the creature at the bottom of the chasm that you're going to get pushed into. Oh, I gotcha. But, yeah, as far as, like, yeah, the actual species and and whatnot, I think that would definitely be interesting to learn more about. Yes. And we may not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Especially, yeah, if if its only role is to be the scary creature at the bottom of the platformer stage. Well, well, cool. Um, so, not that we're already predicting uh, who's going to be replacing Susan, but Kyle, I'm curious. What did you think of Bennett? No. <laughs> what was your first impression of Vicky? You know, I I like her so far. I think she is, you know, she's uh, fairly like energetic and bubbly personality. Um, I will say that I, 
in my fun watch for the pod, I have gotten like a few serials ahead at this point. I'm probably like two oh, or three wow. serials ahead. Cool. So I, I'm, I'm getting to be a bit more familiar with Vicky and, you know, sort of getting a feel for her character. And yeah, I will, I will say that I, you know, I guess slight spoiler for the next few serials that I have already fun watched, but I, I'm enjoying her, her run so far. Cool. I mean, it was interesting when she she did that whole like, oh, I don't care if I never get rescued thing. Like that seemed to be almost a, a conscious way to set her apart from Susan. Not that Susan, you know, wouldn't. Well, I don't know. I don't know what Susan's reaction would have been, but but to, to show her as being maybe a little bit more independent and a little bit more. Um, I don't. Yeah, I don't even know how to put it. Um, I'm trying not to 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 use kind of condescending terms or, 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 or terms that have that, like, you know, misogynist tinge to them when it yeah. comes to teen girl characters. It, um, it can be hard to find the language, though. Our Yeah, our language is kind of designed to be misogynistic from the ground up. Yeah, all these all these terms like spunky and feisty, which yeah. certainly um, do tend to be used for for characters, especially in this era. Yeah, like even you know me calling her a bubbly personality, like is true, but it feels a little bit gross to say. But I don't know a better way to say it. You know. Yep. Yep. I mean, as far as we've come since the 1960s, I think. Uh, a lot of that is still around, and yeah, and even just in our in our vocabulary and our way of thinking about things and looking at things. Yep. Yeah. Well, on that fun note, did you have any other <laughs> thoughts that you wanted to share about this episode? Um. No, I think I've pretty much said it all. I think most of my most of the thoughts that I still have to say, I think, will be better on a later episode. Oh, mysterious! <laughs> well, all right, I guess yeah, we just about like the next one. What I think about Vicky and stuff. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, all right, listeners, we'll see you in two weeks, and I'll learn more about what Kyle thinks about Vicky in three weeks when we do our next recording. Bye. Bye. The Doctor's Watcher would like to thank Circuit 23 for the awesome theme song he made for us. You can hear it and the rest of his music at soundcloud.com slash circuit23. You can reach him at circuit.23 at gmail.com. I would like to thank Benny for listening to me talk about Doctor Who, and I would like to thank all you listeners for listening to Benny listen to me talk about Doctor Who. You can reach us by email at thedoctorswatcher at gmail.com and on Twitter at doctorwatcher. If you enjoyed the program, please tell all your friends and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you review your podcasts. Thanks for listening. see her unconscious at the bottom sorry me matilda's outside okay one sec meow hi kitty meow meow 
Meow. Meow. Good kitty. We're recording a podcast right now. Yeah, good kitty. All right, so of course we we, we always have room for our uh, our co-host. 